0: Please take your Bible and turn it to the book of Philemon in the New Testament, the book of Philemon. We've looked at this tiny epistle, which is gem-packed with truth and has application to our lives. And today we're looking at the last verse, the 25th verse, and it reads this way, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. It might be well if we would go back to the first three verses to get the context where Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house, and then he goes on to say, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus the Lord." John Wesley is a name that is perhaps familiar to you. John Wesley lived in the 18th century in Great Britain. He was the 15th of 19 children. His brother Charles and he attended Oxford University. As you well know, that would be one of the two elite universities in that day, even to this day in Great Britain and in the world. And they were students of divinity. That is, they were studying to be Anglican priests. They were part of a group which got the name the Holy Club, and they met weekly with other students. And what they did simply was to read the New Testament from Greek. It takes a geek to read Greek. But these guys were amazing guys in terms of their ability for self-discipline, self-control. They were terrific students. They were zealous in good works. They, upon graduation, went to the colony of Georgia. It was there that they sought to spread the gospel as they understood it. It was a very dry time for John Wesley in particular. He preached his heart out, but virtually no one responded to the message that he brought. Two years into that time of service and mission, he and his brother packed up their belongings and headed back for their homeland. On the way, they were caught in a ferocious Atlantic tropical storm, There was some question as to whether they would survive. John Wesley, by his own description of that event, said he was deathly afraid of dying. And he was worried beyond what a true believer in Christ should worry about because he was unsure of his salvation. Among those who were traveling with him was a group of Moravian brethren, a sect of Christians who were evangelical Christians, And he said he noticed something in them that convicted him. They did not show the same level of fear. In fact, they seemed to be unaffected by the environment in which they found themselves. He began to talk to them once the storm died down and inquired about their serenity, their sense of peace. It was not long after that that they arrived in Great Britain, glad to be on dry land again, And as was his custom, and Charles's, they went to a Bible study meeting on a certain avenue. And the one who was leading the Bible study that night simply opened a commentary written by Martin Luther on the book of Galatians. And he read the introduction, simply read the introduction. Now, if you know anything about Martin Luther, he was heavy on grace, and rightly so. And in the process of the introduction to that book on Galatians, this is what John Wesley said. My heart was strangely warmed as I heard the gospel. His life was radically changed. He was born again. Here was a man who was ordained as a minister in the Church of England. He was a man who had preached the gospel, or so he thought, Without any fruit, that should have been an indication. And it did stir his heart in the colony of Georgia. But he came into a knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ as he heard the true gospel of grace that Martin Luther and the Reformers preached, and men and women before those Reformers preached the gospel. He and his brother Charles had a, an incredible, credible ministry over the years. In his 88th year, John Wesley was still riding horseback every week. He logged in hundreds of miles, going from place to place with the express purpose of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was a prolific writer about the things of God. He was a man who lived very frugally, and this was his motto about material things. Make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. When he died, he only had 30 pounds and a few pieces of sterling silver, silverware to his name because he practiced what he preached. He knew that he was a steward of his life, including his material possessions. His brother Charles was a preacher of sorts too. In fact, Charles penned, listen, 3,000 hymns in his life. I was just curious as I was getting ready for the worship service in this building today. It was an afterthought almost. I picked the hymnal up, went back to the section which tells who the authors of the lyrics of the music that's in that hymnal are. And 13 of those 3,000 hymns which he penned are in our hymnal. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I'm ready for Christmas already, aren't y'all? It's awesome. And then, Christ the Lord is risen today, that wonderful hymn that we still sing almost every Sunday, written coming up on 300 years ago by Charles Wesley. And then, oh for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glory of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. Charles Wesley was a man who understood the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is known for many things. Perhaps the thing that he's least appreciated for and most overlooked about is that he was a man of the grace of Jesus Christ. You know, in the book of Philippians chapter 3 how he gives his own testimony about his pre-Christian life and he talks about how he was a man who excelled all his contemporaries in the keeping of the law of Moses and all the associated laws which had been added layer upon layer upon layer by rabbis since the time of Moses. He was the Hebrew of Hebrews as if to say nobody in my peer group was better learned than I. No one was more hard-charging than I. I was the one who persecuted the church of Jesus Christ because I believed it was heresy. I did it and was a violent aggressor in that process. The Apostle Paul could very well be called the Apostle of Grace. Why do I say that? All of his letters... All 13 of them, he introduces this concept of grace without exception. All but the book of Romans, he concludes with a reference to the grace of God the Father or to the grace of Jesus Christ or to the grace of both. He was intent upon the grace of God because he knew how utterly dependent he was on the grace of Jesus Christ. I hope you know that that is true of you too. If you have a relationship with God, it's not based on anything you have done. It's based on the grace of God. As our brother prayed earlier, he prayed about the grace of God. He said the grace of God, using grace as an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's for sure. But we are people who are indebted To the Lord for His grace. By the way, there's nothing you and I can do to get right with God on our own. Did you know that? There's no amount of good works that you can do to put yourself right with God. There's no amount of money you can give or many times get baptized. You can do all kinds of religious stuff and still be without a relationship to our Lord. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Romans. I'm going to talk very quickly about three or four things he says in Romans chapter 3. He says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. There is none good, no, not one. Do you understand that there is nothing or no one Which can be done or be saved apart from the grace of God. The grace of God is what we're going to consider today. And let's look again at that verse in the 25th verse of the letter to Philemon. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, to whom was this letter written? We know it was to Philemon, but there were two other people who were mentioned. Aphia, described by Paul as our sister, meaning the sister of Timothy and Paul. And then Archippus, a fellow soldier, fellow worker, sister, fellow soldier. These were the ones to whom this personal letter was addressed, but it might as well have been addressed to you and me because of its relevance to us, especially with regard to this matter, this all-important matter of grace. There are many big words in the bible. I'm not talking about long words or hard words to pronounce. I'm talking about big words. And there's none bigger than the word grace next to the words that describe our God in his different beings. What we know is he is God, but grace is huge for us. Jesus is the one referred to in this verse where the Bible says about Jesus, what does it say about him? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Whose grace is it? Whose grace? It's the grace of Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ. This reminds me of what Paul writes in the book of Galatians, where he says in 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the body, I live by the faith, listen, of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The faith of the Son of God? How does that work? The same way that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ works in our lives. How do we have that access? Clearly, it's because of what Christ has done for us. And also, Based upon who Jesus Himself is. We know He's the God-man. The Bible says in John 1: And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then in the 16th verse, and speaking of Jesus, and of His fullness, we have. All received. Do you know what that means about you if you know Christ? You have gotten all of him when he came to live in your life. All. Not some of Jesus. You don't need more of Jesus. He's in your life. It's been said, we need more of Jesus. Well, that has a good sentiment, and I'm not really criticizing the heart that penned those words, whoever it might have been. But what I do know is he needs more of us. That's the issue. It's not his problem, it's ours. And that we haven't given him more full access to us. But think about this. Of his grace, we have received everything that he has to give. We're not at a deficit in terms of grace. Unless we are just in the dark about who we are if we know Christ. Or who you can be if you don't know Christ. And you want to receive him and the grace that He has for you. In Second Corinthians chapter nine, eight, rather, verse nine, this is what the Bible says. Paul writes, and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who being rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that your his poverty rather will enable you to be rich. This is the gospel. We're not talking about wealth financial. We're talking about what comes to us by way of Jesus Christ entering into our lives and dwelling in us. That's what we're talking about when we talk about the whole issue of the poverty of Jesus. Jesus was in the splendor of heaven. He was waited on hand and foot by angelic beings. He knew nothing of the stress and strain of humanity. He became one of us by consent of His own will in conference with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He became one of us. He took on human flesh in order that He could alleviate our fears and our concerns about death in order to receive the grace that God had for us through Him based on what Jesus did for us. When he gave his life for us. The riches that are ours are delineated in the book of Ephesians better than any other book of the Bible. I encourage you to take time after today. After you absorb what is being taught today from the word of God about the grace of God. And look for expressions of the riches which are ours. The Bible says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's in Ephesians. That's our heritage. That's who we are. If we are recipients of the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And suffice it to say that in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible talks about how the grace of God has appeared To all men. Wow. What's that talking about? It's talking about Jesus, actually. It's a personification of Jesus. He is the personification, the embodiment of this grace. With that having been said, let's go and look at four things that is taught in the Bible about grace. The first of which is we are saved by Christ's grace. Many of you can quote Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. What does it say? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are saved by Christ alone, grace alone. It's the work of Jesus on our behalf that we could never do on our own. Let's turn to Titus for a moment. It's right next to Philemon, just the book right before Philemon. And let me ask you to look at chapter 3 with me. Chapter 3, verse 3. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another, But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. That would be Jesus, wouldn't it? The kindness of God our Savior. He saved us, verse 5 says, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy and washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus told Nicodemus? Unless you're born of the Spirit and of water, or water and the Spirit, you will not enter the kingdom of God. We have to be born again, born of God, the Holy Spirit. Verse 6 says, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. That is the Holy Spirit, our Savior. This would be referring to Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit formed the church. Verse 7, that being justified by his grace, we have been made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Look at that little phrase, justified by His grace. We've been made right with God. Another way of saying we've been saved by Christ's grace through what the Lord Jesus did for us when He died for us. Kindness personified. Grace personified. Love personified in the person of Jesus. And Jesus demonstrated His grace to us in becoming one of us and taking the full weight of the wrath of God upon himself. The Bible says that sin exacts a wage. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died your death for you and for me in order that we could be made right with God. God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that is to say, He died in our place. The wrath of God fell upon Jesus, that had been stored up from the beginning of time to come upon those who upon Jesus for the salvation of those who receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. So the first thing we see about grace: we are saved by Christ's grace. Here's the second thing: we are. Sanctified by Christ's grace. Now, what does that word mean, sanctify? We don't use it very often in daily conversation, if at all. The word sanctify simply means to be set apart, in this case, for God's use. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world, the Bible says, to be holy and blameless in His sight. The word holy is The adjective form of the word that is translated sanctify, holy. He set us apart to be sanctified, and this is his purpose for our lives. Once we're saved from our sins, we're made right with God. Remember the word justified, which talks about how we're justified here in Titus chapter 3 by God's grace, by the grace in Christ Jesus That word justified was a word which was borrowed from the Roman court system of Paul's day. It was a word used to describe a judgment which was rendered. And when the time came for a decision to be made public after a trial in the Roman courts, and a judge said justified, it was such a relief for the person who had been on trial. It meant you are free. You are not going to be punished. The Bible says to us, as it was first written to the Romans, there's therefore now no condemnation, absolutely none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. We've been set free from the fear of death. And we've been set apart by God to serve his purposes here on earth, to serve the Lord. Now, I'll just tell you, and you probably wouldn't be surprised, maybe you would be, that what I cherish most, I think, about being a Christian is being enlisted in the service of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about doing what I'm doing now. This is a very small part. I'm talking about just being a believer in Christ and how the Lord says in the book of Galatians, serve one another in freedom. Love one another by serving one another. Be free in your walk with God. Do you know when God calls you out of darkness into His marvelous light? When He transfers you from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of His Son's light? Do you know what He does for you? The psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 32, speaks of it in this way. I run in the way of your commandments because you have set my heart free If you're here this morning and you feel bound up in your heart, your life is a life that's characterized not by freedom, but by some sort of restrictive something going on inside of you. Is your heart troubled? Understand that great people who knew Jesus well over the centuries have had similar sorts of experiences in their lives. St. Augustine Aurelius said this about himself and his confessions and his companions. He says, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Pascal, who lived some 1,300 years later, a, a man who was a devout churchman, went to Mass every day, confession every day, but he still was empty in his heart. And then after he met Jesus, all that changed. He received the grace of God. He realized it was no longer a matter of his practicing all the different rules and regulations. Rather, it was a reception of the work of Christ, the grace of God in Christ, and what he had done for him to do what he could never do for himself. That is, to do enough good things to please God. This is what he wrote. He said every person is created with a God-shaped vacuum or hole in his or her heart. There's probably more than one person in this room who fits that category. You're longing, perhaps you even came here, just out of a whim maybe, to be here. And you know, I need fulfillment in my life. I need to be full of grace. And the answer to that need is one thing. That's the person... Of Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to our verse for a moment. What does it say? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That little phrase at the end, with your spirit. What does that mean? Well, we're made up of three parts. The Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, when the scripture says that we are spirit, soul, and body. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, as Paul writes this to the church at Thessalonica. May your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please notice the order in which he describes the parts of who you are. Spirit, first, that's priority. Soul, second, and then body. All three parts are important, right? No body, nothing to convey the soul and the spirit. So many scholars have associated soul and spirit as being the same thing. But I would beg their pardon. Why would God say spirit, soul, and body, not just in 1 Thessalonians Also, for instance, in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. Why would he say those things if there was not this trichotomy? Let me tell you what the soul is. We learn this from looking at the way in which soul is used in the scripture. But the soul is made up of one's mind, will, and emotions. You will recall, I'm sure, when Eve was tempted by the serpent, the embodiment of Satan in the garden, tempted to eat of the only tree in the entire garden that the Lord marked off limits. And she said when he tempted her, the Lord said if we eat this, we will what? Die. We'll die. And then what did the devil say through this serpent? Surely you will not die. That's just like the devil to contradict the word of God, isn't it? Well, she took the bait Adam did too, and they fell out of grace with God. God came, He knew what had happened. He's all knowing. He came in the cool of the day when He would come and walk with Him, fellowship with Him. And there was no Adam or Eve to be seen, so He called out the name Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I'm hiding. And God said, Why are you hiding? And he responded, we were afraid. He's speaking for his wife. We were afraid, and so we hid ourselves. Now let me pause just a moment. Did their bodies die when they took of the tree in the garden of Eden? It was forbidden. Not immediately. We know the Bible says in Romans five twelve that sin entered the world through one man, that would be Adam, and death through sin and death spread to all mankind. No sin, there would have been no death is what that suggests. They did die many, many years later, but not immediately. So they probably went, dodge that bullet. But then, did their soul die? Well, I don't think so. Could they still reason? How do we know that? They talked to God and... What they said made sense. Did they have feelings? Well, yes. Isn't that what Adam said? We were afraid because we were ashamed. We were naked. We were afraid and we hid ourselves. Did they have a will? Yes. They chose to hide themselves. So what we see is that in that story, which depicts what happened to man... The body remained intact. The, heart, the soul was still intact. But the spirit died. The place where God dwelled and conversed, communed with them, died. This is why the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5, you know what it says. It says, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's speaking to people who he describes as saints in the introduction of the book of Ephesians. And remember what a saint is? One who has been set apart by God. Believers set apart for God's use by the grace of God. They were dead on arrival. When you were born the first time, I include myself in this, of course, we were D-O-A spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. We were had a body, we had a soul, but we were missing that part where God lives. That part that Pascal talked about. The God-shaped vacuum. The spirit of a person. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And if that happens, what happens? He comes to indwell a person. Correct? When we realize who Jesus is, what he's done for us, our absolute need for forgiveness. It's not a matter of my measuring myself up against someone else. We can typically find somebody that we are better than morally, at least in our own eyes. It's not about that. It's about realizing that the standard standard of measurement is the law of God. And we also add to that the Ten Commandments. We look at those and we look at what they really mean. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself any graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Anything that belongs to your neighbor. Look, all I have to do is break one of those. One. And I have broken them all. That's what the Bible says. And one sin separates me from God. I love the spiritual song. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. We all need prayer. The grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, in 1 Corinthians one thirty is described as our sanctification. Going back to 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, listen carefully. What Paul writes to the Corinthians in verse 7. But just as you abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in the love we inspired and you see that you abound in this gracious work also. He's talking about collecting an offering to be sent to the church in Jerusalem where there was a famine and the people were starving there. And it was a good work, as it were. And I, I don't want to confuse you. I want to clear something up here. Good works follow receiving the grace of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created where? In Christ Jesus. For what purpose? To do good works. Good works are a part of being a follower of Christ. But it's not the way you get right with God. If you do that, we've established today, you will never experience the grace of God. But he talks in here about that they are to also abound in this good work of giving out of what they have as the Macedonian churches had done who were much poorer than the Corinthian church to give money to help relieve the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ in Jerusalem due to the famine there. We are sanctified by Christ's grace. Here's the third thing. We are also strengthened by Christ's grace. So far we're saved by His grace, we're sanctified, we are able to grow in the Lord. we are able to show forth the fruit of the Spirit of God because the Spirit lives in us, and He wants to demonstrate His life through us. It's the life of Christ as it were. And we also come to this place, the strength. You need strength every once in a while. I really appreciated the reading of Second Corinthians chapter 12. The last thing, especially when I'm weak, then I am strong. How does that work? Well, Paul writes to the Philippians, probably 90% of you can quote Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do anything apart from him. This is what he says in John 15.5. But I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. I have to let Christ rule and reign in my life. That's what it means to be sanctified. The Bible says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. Notice the way in which Paul speaks of Jesus in that verse 25 in Philemon. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. May the Lord Jesus Christ come not to be beside you, but be in you, so that in him. You, he will be able to work to the degree that he begins to reproduce his life through you as we trust him. This is the Christian life. It's Christ in us who is the hope of glory. Not glory for ourselves, but our lives being lives which are designed to glorify God and actually do glorify the Lord. Paul writes about the grace of Christ's strength to Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy 2.1, You then, my son, be strong in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is living in us who know Jesus. And he does reproduce his life through us in this matter of grace, which covers everything else. Here's the last thing about the grace that we're going to talk about together today. We are sustained... By Christ's grace. What do I mean by that? Well, when we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it's an autobiographical section. Paul talks about him having some kind of ailment. He says it was a messenger from Satan. The word messenger actually is an angel. The demon had come to torment him evidently because we know demons are fallen angels. And he had what is called a thorn. He calls it a thorn. And by the way, the word thorn is not like what we think, like a locust tree. You know what a locust tree is? When I was a boy, there was a locust tree in our backyard, and I remember when I was about six or seven years old, probably seven, I was went barefoot all summer, and I stepped on one of those things, and man, that was painful. But the word is, that's used there is really a stake. It was a stake in his body. It was bothering. I mean, it was painful. Some of you live with pain or disfigurement or a combination of both. And Paul was wanting to be free from that because he was human, but it hindered, he felt like, his effectiveness in preaching the gospel. It may have hindered his being able to work with his hands. He talks about in the book of Acts how his hands were used to work in tent making so he could support himself and then also share what he made with the team that made up his mission team but here he was he was a man hurting and what does Jesus say finally he had asked Jesus three times and Jesus said this is my interpretation shut up Paul I'm not, not here anymore and sometimes the Lord just says enough but then you know what he does what does Jesus say My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Do you know the power of Christ, the grace of Christ, cannot be unleashed in and through me until I decide to quit trying to run my life? I have to take my hands off. That does not mean I'm passive. It means I'm dependent. And I take orders from the Lord. I don't move or do until He tells me to move or do. Psalm 46.10 speaks of being still and know that I am God. God says, and I've said this probably a hundred times from this place over the years. The word be still simply means drop your hands. Take your hands off of it. It's not your life anyway. What Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have from God, therefore glorify God in your body. Whose body is it? My body belongs to Jesus. And if you know Christ, it's the same for you. We are not our own. We need to get off that track. It's a fast track to nowhere. The track that we're to travel is the one trusting in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding, and all your ways, Acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Whatever turn your life takes, there's some people in this room who are hurting today. I don't know who you are, but you're hurting. You're hurting physically. You're hurting emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Do you know the answer to that? Is to believe what Jesus says. When He says, My grace is sufficient for you. I will sustain you. Cast your burden on me and I will sustain you. Cast your cares upon me for I care for you. And I can tell you story after story. I'm going to close with this story about the mother of John and Charles Wesley. This is a prayer that she was often heard praying. She had 19 children, 10 of whom didn't reach majority five she lost five babies little children not just in birth but over a span of time she lost five children in five years to death including a set of twins she was a woman who was acquainted with trouble her husband made a meager if you translate the pounds into dollars. That was pretty good in that day, but when you try to feed 20 people a week, or let's just say 10 or 11, that's a lot of mouths to feed. But you know, she suffered with that because she was concerned for her babies. But God always took care of her. Listen to what she said. Her kids heard her. John Wesley heard this. Charles Wesley heard it. So did the others. She said, Oh Lord, grant me grace to be wholly a Christian. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L. Why, completely. Oh Lord, grant me the grace to be an all-out Christian. To remember that religion is not to be confined to the church or to the closet." nor exercise only in prayer and meditation, but that everywhere I am in your presence. This was her prayer. And then, here's what she wrote one time when things were going especially troublesome for her and the family. She said, Though man is born to trouble, Yet I believe there is scarce a man to be found upon earth, but, take the whole course of his life, has more mercies than afflictions, and much more pleasure than pain. All my sufferings, by the admirable management of omnipotent goodness, have concurred to promote my spiritual and eternal good. Glory to you, O Lord, spoken like a woman of grace. No wonder her life Resonates even to this day, how she loved the Lord, loved her husband, loved her children, raised them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. She had what she called her household school, is what she called it, six hours, six hours. Do you know what sustained this woman throughout all of the troubles that she faced? It's trouble enough to try to raise nine kids, isn't it? Trouble enough to give birth to 19, unbelievable in a 20-year period. Unbelievable. But the thing that sustained her, at the age of 30, she has nine children who are living at the age of 30. She decided God would want her to spend two hours a day. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. I'm guilted by it just to think about it. Two hours a day with the Lord, reading the Word of God, she wrote three textbooks for her children in their homeschool. Unbelievable. This woman did that. How did she do it? She lived way up in years. She didn't die young. She lived a fruitful life. And she had great joy and peace. She did those things not without bad moments, but she wasn't crushed by the difficulties of life for her because she trusted Jesus and believed what he said, when he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. It's not accidental that when Paul introduces his letters, he says, Grace to you, and he always follows it with peace, grace and peace. Grace is necessary to have peace. You can't have peace without having grace. You have to know the Lord. You have to have Him as your King, your Master. And God wants that for you. Jesus came for that very purpose, to give you eternal life. You must submit to Him as who your Lord trusted Him completely and give Him control of your life. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, I'm just going to read this and we'll be finished today. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's begin with verse 5. God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. According, listen carefully, to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That's the kind of God we have. He's not an ogre. He is a holy God. He has such pure eyes, he can't look on sin. We've seen that. Our sins separate us from him. But he made a way. Can you believe he gave his only son to die? For your enmity toward Him while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. And Christ died for us so that we could exercise our will to say, Lord, please forgive me. I can't do this by myself. Come and live in me. In miracle of miracles, He will respond to such a prayer. Let's pray. take a moment and just tell the Lord what you're thinking. Yield your life to Him. If you've known Him but have wandered from Him, tell Him that. He knows all there is to know about you and loves you. But He loves you too much to let you stay where you are. He's spoken to you today. Give Him control of your life. An act of the will and trust in Him. Father, we are grateful for Jesus. That's an understatement. We're not as grateful as we will be someday when our minds are more able to grasp the great grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to be agents of your grace. Help us to live it out, to love people in the name of Christ, to help people come to know Jesus so that his grace in us Will achieve its purpose of getting outside of us into others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.